We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. guys you may have noticed that roto grinders has started producing sports card content recently and that's because sports card investing has taken off in recent years and we feel that there's an opportunity for all of us to be profitable while picking up a fun hobby and we've assembled a team of the sharpest minds in the industry to help guide us to profit and i've got a few of them joining me today uh we'll start with jeff wilson who's a tech investor who saw an opportunity in sports cards. He's the founder of sportscardinvestor.com, where they've created a great market movers tool that tracks sales trends in the market. And uh, we've teamed with Jeff to offer our viewers 20% off uh, the first month of a sportscardinvestor.com subscription to his site using the promo code GRINDERS. So Jeff, uh, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and uh, tell us a little bit more about what market movers is. Yeah, I was a big sports card collector as a kid, probably like many of your listeners are. Of course, back then I was just doing it for fun, you know, trading baseball cards with my friends at school. Um, and I got back into it a couple of years ago because now I have now I have kids of my own and my son wanted to go buy some football cards. And I, I didn't even know that they still made those things. Um, but I took them and we got some football cards and I started looking at the cards and the way that cards are produced nowadays and the fact that there are cards that are serial numbered and there are cards that are graded. And I all of a sudden started to realize, oh my gosh, this is so much better and smarter than it used to be. And there's actually business and investment potential all over this. Um, so I started a YouTube show last summer called Sports Card Investor. 
where I started talking about the dollars and cents behind sports cards. And it's a very, very dynamic marketplace. You know, unlike when we were kids, you can go buy and sell cards right now online on eBay. In fact, it's eBay's number one category. And there's other websites like uh, Check Out My Cards, ComC, where you can flip cards without even having to take possession of them. So it's very possible to, to flip things now like it didn't used to be before. And um, I just got really interested, really hooked, started putting the content out and uh, have grown now into having really a huge membership program where I've got lots of people who are subscribers to my membership program. Um, and we're every day talking about what sports cars are going up, what the big investment opportunities are, all that type of thing. Awesome. Uh, next up, we got uh, Brennan Ruby, who also contributes to playingnumbers.com. Uh, Brennan, why don't you give us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I did some investing in sports cards when I was younger with my dad, but uh, mainly what drove me to the hobby was uh, and actually in October of last year, uh, my son was born. And I realized very quickly as that approached, I wasn't going to have the time to do the daily grind of DFS. I'd been playing DFS for almost 10 years. And so I was looking for an avenue to, to kind of uh, get the same sort of excitement and feel and relationship with those players that I like without spending uh, the countless hours a day playing DFS. And that's kind of what brought me back to the hobby. Similar to Jeff, uh, I wanted to share it with my son. And I also realized that there was a lot of opportunity um, in, in the space from an investment standpoint and, and to kind of to mesh all of those worlds together, investing time with my son and also, you know, the, just the hobby of basketball and cards in general, that really drove me to it. And so I've kind of applied my finance background, uh, my analytics background and my love for basketball to, to really start to dig into this industry. And it's been a, a ton of fun, a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, finally, we have uh, Jeff Hoffer, uh, founder of PackGeek.com. Uh, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Hey, guys. Uh, I'm excited to be on here with these faces tonight. I, uh, I'm a lifelong collector. Um, when it comes to investment, I think sports cards are probably the only <laughs> good investments I've made during my <laughs> life, um, unfortunately and fortunately. But I've just been, you know, in the hobby my entire life, and my two passions throughout the years I've been on this planet uh, have been sports cards and filmmaking. And so at one point in time, I decided to combine the two of those into a series about sports cards, and that's how Pack Geek was born. So it gave me an opportunity to uh, do some filmmaking and talk about sports cards and open packs and uh, talk to other uh, hobby guys and just have fun with it. Very cool. And you do a lot of stuff with the uh, with the Panini guys, opening packs with the Panini guys. You want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> well, it, fortunately for us, we're, we're based in Dallas, uh, about 15 minutes from Panini's headquarters. So we have good access to the folks at Panini, which helps us out. Same with Beckett. They're not too far away either. So, um, you know, I, lo I, I love those guys. I love their product. Frankly, they're good people. Tracy Hackler in particular has been on the show numerous times and uh, he's a lot of fun to play around with. And he's, he's passionate about cards. Uh, you know, he's their hobby market manager. So he's got to legitimately uh, appreciate cards, appreciate the hobby. And he does. And I, I enjoy every opportunity to talk cards with him and learn about new Panini products through him. Awesome. Um, and I'm Simon Edwards. I'm executive producer over at Roto-Grinders. Uh, but I've also been on and off, again, sports card investor my whole life and owned an affiliate company uh, 
affiliate marketing company with Don West back about 10 years ago where we sold sports cards and stopped doing that right before the market took off again. And so we're, we're currently in a situation where all of our major sports have been shut down indefinitely, which can make the market difficult to navigate without knowing when the sports are going to return. Uh, there's some players whose prices have dropped recently and have not recovered while others are back to where they were before the disruption. The market was pretty hot up until a couple months ago and has recovered a little bit. Uh, so Jeff, can you tell us a little bit about where the market currently stands and where we can look to find some value? Yeah, and in fact, uh, let's go to the screen share here because I think this kind of tells a lot of the story. This is uh, Juan Soto's tops, kind of tops mm -hmm. rookie card, the one that a lot of the standard rookie card that a lot of people go after for Juan Soto is Tops Update 2018 graded PSA 10. And you can see this card, this card, you know, was was inching up slightly over the course going back to early January and then and then kind of getting into early fe into late February. And then all of a sudden it went absolutely crazy. The market really took off in late February into early March. And it looked like every card out there was going to skyrocket to the moon. But then, of course, this is right where sports paused, right in here, right around March 11th, March 12th. You know, we have we have this dip, and then we had this real lull in the market, and that fall off that you see here in Juan Soto's cards, that is a pretty similar pattern to what you would see with most players. With most players, you might not see quite as drastic of a run-up. We were getting that with Juan Soto because it was right before the baseball season started, so there was a lot of, you know, spring training was starting to go on, and we were getting close to what should have been opening day. So there was all this excitement peaking, but then you saw this big drop. But what's really interesting is in the last couple of weeks, the market has come roaring back for a lot of players, not for every player. And you could see that what's particularly amazing with Juan Soto is that his prices now for this card are actually over what they were even at the peak of the market in early March. Now that's not true with everybody. Um, and if I switch to like, let's say, let's take a look at um, Acuna. So another obviously very popular baseball player. And if I look at his tops update, by the way, the tool that I'm demoing is the um, is my market movers tool. And this is what people, you know, one of the things people subscribe to my membership program to get access to. So you can see with Acuna, you had a ser you had a, a similar buildup in the market, very similar timing to Soto, the buildup. And then you had a very similar drop off. But what we see with Acuna is he's not gotten back up again. Um, so he's he started to pick back up a little bit, but he's not quite there yet. So different players at this point are kind of in different patterns of recovery mode, I would say. Um, and uh, as a result, I actually think there's some pretty good opportunities right now to maybe pick up some of the guys who are lagging a little bit behind uh, what some of the other guys are doing in terms of their recovery. Cool, cool. And and what can the market movers uh, tool do to help you help you find those those players that might be good to invest in currently? Yeah, well, so my membership program, one thing that I do for all of my members, not just my market mover members, but my investor members as well, which is my lower level of membership, is I send out a report every week to them that looks like this. This is this is actually a little snapshot of the report that just went out recently. And so what I do is I show you every single all of the all of the top most popular players and what their card prices have done in the last seven days and the last 30 days. So I think an opportunity, for example, is to look for players on a list like this. And this, of course, is basketball we're looking at right here.
that have not recovered as strongly as other players. Now, if you look at the last 30 days, you see from this list that, of course, the two guys that have gone up the most are Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Well, there's a great reason for that, right? It's obviously people were buying a ton of their cards in anticipation of this Last Dance documentary, which just started on ESPN. And it's that kind of stuff that can really move the market. Um, And then you see a lot of other players. But what's interesting to me when I look at a list like this is a lot of players have recovered like in the 20% range. You got Zion at 23% over the last 30-day gain. Luca's 23%, LeBron's 25%, Kobe White's 23%. You start to notice certain players, like maybe a Trey Young that's only at a 17%, or a Michael Porter Jr. that's only at a 9%, or Donovan Mitchell that's only at a 7.8% in terms of their price increase over the last 30 days. Maybe there's some opportunities to look at some of those guys who are lagging behind the rest of the market a little bit, but guys who you still feel very strongly in their potential, uh, in you know their future potential as a basketball player. Nice. So if we go back to the sports card market in general, uh, the industry standard, at least for NBA, has been the Panini Prism series. Uh, Brennan, why don't you talk about this a bit and how did they get in the position where they're the industry standard? And is there something the average investor might be overlooking? Sure. Uh, yeah. So I believe that Prism really took hold of the market, uh, Ben Simmons' rookie season. That's, I believe, right around when Panini and uh, had kind of taken full control of the basketball card industry. And uh, so investors really started to focus in on the Prism. Uh, shiny uh, chrome type cards are very in right now. And, and Prism kind of took hold of that. And uh, it, it kind of has grown from that 2016 season. Um, I also think that it helps that Prism is available both in retail and hobby. And so it's available at all different levels of investors versus something like Select, who um, is a very good set in itself, but it's hobby only. So it's only available, uh, especially for breaks at a certain uh, price point. Um, as far as what we could be overlooking in the industry, uh, I, I think as long as the market says that Prism is the more popular brand, I, I think it's going to be the more prop- popular brand. I think long-term, however, and and Jeff has talked about this on his show, uh, we have to be at least somewhat cognizant of the fact that population reports of some of these cards are going up very, very high, and how could that possibly impact the values long-term? And so I think um, from a liquidity standpoint, Prism is the card to own right now, and I think it will be for for some time. But as those population reports um, and and the populations of those cards uh, go up, uh, you have to at least – you might – you have to at least think there might be some opportunity and some of these other brands, um, some of your optics, uh, your uh, select, and then even at the higher end, you've got immaculate and flawless who are, are kind of right up there with national treasures, maybe not quite to that level. So I think the opportunity as, as we kind of go forward is going to be, can you catch that next wave? Can you figure out what brands might kind of catch up to prism. And I think that's where the most opportunity is Uh, short term though. Prism is King. And I think it's going to be that way for a little bit of time. Yeah. There's, there's a, the national treasure series is a beautiful card. And Mm -hmm. there's also a few other high end series uh, that are produced by Panini and they have a great limited edition autographed and Jersey cards in, in those sets it's a it's a beautiful series to look at, and the scarcity adds a great element for investors. Uh, Jeff, can you talk a little bit about the higher-end cards and which sports cards favor different brands 
uh, for investing? Yeah. I mean, one of the cool things about the hobby in general is you can really play at any price level, right? So you've got, you can come in and, you know, on the lower end, you can, if you, let's say we're talking about basketball, right? So you can get in like with an NBA hoops uh, or a regular Donruss, you know, which is a lower end set. And, and you can, you know, go buy, go get a bunch of cards at Target or Walmart for 19 bucks or less. Um, or you can go all the way up to the high end. And one of the things that amazed me when I got back into the hobby was to learn that there are literally boxes of cards, packs of cards really, that have 10 cards inside that are retailing for $3,000 or more for a 10 card pack. And I was like, wait, what? Like that's a thing? Like I remember all the cards I used to buy were like $2 at the local 7-Eleven, you know? And so, but it is a thing, right? And so, you know, National Treasures, which was just mentioned is kind of considered the cream of the crop in basketball and in football. Um, and, um, and, and, and those, they're just amazing cards, but you, you buy a box and it's literally, uh, you know, you're going to be dropping thousands of dollars, most likely, you know, that after, especially after all the markups now that take place these days uh, for 10 cards, which is incredible. But of course, if you, on the flip side this year, when national treasures basketball comes out, it's supposed to come out in May. We'll, you know, we'll see if there's any delay on that due to, you know, uh, some of the companies being closed and shipping and all that stuff. But assuming it comes out, I mean, there are going to be people who are opening up those boxes that are pulling out Zion cards that are going to be worth a hundred thousand dollars or more the second they're pulled out of the box. So it's really, you know, sports card investing really has a, a bit of a gambling element to it. If you're going to be buying and opening boxes. Now I will tell you, that I do not recommend from an investment strategy, buying and opening boxes is, is really a bad investment strategy because it is gambling and you're trying to get lucky and, and more times than not, you won't be. Um, what I like to do is, is buy individual cards. So I, I'll buy them off the person who pulled it out of the box, uh, you know, and then I'll buy them that way so I can get the exact players that I want. And, um, and National Treasures, we talked about the high end, you know, if you're if you're going to really try to get the cream of the crop rookie card, yeah, a National Treasures RPA, it's called Rookie Patch Auto, number to ninety nine is kind of the most popular one. And you know, I, I picked up a Trey Young uh, graded as a as a Beckett BGS nine point five graded um, Trey Young RPA number to ninety nine uh, for about fifteen thousand um, dollars a couple of months ago. So that's kind of how you know how high. And that of course is is you know that's that sounds like a lot, but then you know, considering one of those cards of Lucas could be pushing, you know, 50 to 100 grand plus, or one of those cards of Giannis's is going to be pushing a few hundred thousand dollars. So it's, you know, it's all relative. But on the flip side, you could also go buy a Trey Young rookie card for a buck if you're going to go all the way down to one of the, you know, low end sets uh, where, where they're more common. So it's one of the great things about the hobby. There's so many different ways to get, you know, in at different price points. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, the scarcity of these cards also raises the question of the necessity to grade cards like this, since they're so unique and probably pretty difficult to produce a perfectly um, pristine card. Uh, it must be hard to grade potentially and sink. You could potentially sink the value of the card if you get a bad grade on it. At what well, point? Some of those high-end sets. Uh, sorry to cut you off, Simon. Some of those high-end sets come chipped out of the box, like Immaculate, if you follow that set much, it, it's one of the, t the big three, Immaculate, Flawless, and National Treasures, and, and Immaculate is kind of 
known for having chipped borders right out of the box. So can you imagine paying a thousand dollars for a 10 card box and your cards don't come out pristine out of the box. They don't come out mint and you know, they might not even come out near mint. Yeah. I was, I was actually going to ask you, uh, when do you think it's detrimental to, to get your cards graded? Um, let's see. Well, I guess it depends. It depends on the caliber of the card. If we're talking about a Mickey Mantle rookie card, then I think you want to have it graded regardless of the condition. You want to make sure it's authentic, right? Um, if we're talking about new cards, then I, I me personally, I don't get, get cards graded. I, I do a, a minimum grade on an order. So I'll send in, we'll just say a, a bunch of Lucas Silvers, uh, Prism Silvers for those who, who aren't basketball fans or, or Prism fans. Um, and I'll, I'll have on the order a minimum of a 10 grade, or if it's going to BGS, I'll have a minimum of 9.5. Uh, the reason being a lot of rock cards will sell more than a BGS 9 or a PSA 9 raw. It is just speculative craziness, and I am personally a big fan of buying those BGS 9s and PSA 9s because I feel like they're really underpriced. But uh, so I, I think there are a lot of factors to play into that as far as when uh, when to grade, when not to grade. But uh, grading has gotten so expensive and so time-consuming these days. I think you really have to think it through uh, before you send a bunch of cards there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Brandon, you, you pointed out that the PSA 10 gradings were – Overpopulating some of the uh, some of the scarcer cards in in the prism set. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I just started to notice recently with some of the newer cards, and I think Jeff kind of touched on this. Um, some of them are almost too easy to grade, and you see a lot more tens than you do nines. And then at that point, you do see a scenario where your nines are selling for the same as a raw which doesn't really make sense because it costs money to get it graded. So you're better off just buying the nine as is, um, you know, so I think it's very important to understand uh, the, the scenario that you're looking at. If it is an older card, if it is a rare card, you might want to get it graded. Um, but if it's a newer card and, and another thing we should probably think about is liquidity. If you're really going to go into this to, to sell cards, you might not have that card back if you submit it for months, several months. And so if you're looking to buy a, someone like a Tyler Hero or one of the big rookies that comes out and flip it later in the season, buying it raw and getting it graded might not work out because you might miss that run of that rookie while your card's sitting in PSA's inbox. So um, I, I think it is very important to understand uh, what grading companies are looking for, what your time frame is in terms of when you're going to want to flip this card or if you're going to want to, um, you know, keep it for the long term, then yet grading it, protecting the, the, you know, the, the card itself for a long term might be worth it. Um, and I also agree that PSA nines and BGS nines are a little bit under uh, undervalued. And I think that's good for collectors. So if you have a personal collection, a lot of times you can't tell a difference between a, a nine and a 10 uh, at least from you know from your you, when looking at it just with without any help of lighting and, and things like that. So get a PSA nine, throw it on the shelf, and you've saved yourself a lot of money, and you have the same exact card that might have a soft corner or the the centering's a little bit off. So um, yeah, I do think with the newer cards, we got to be careful about is it where there's an opportunity cost there with grading, and I think a lot of times it makes sense just to not go that route um, it, it, for a lot of the cards that we're looking at. 
uh, Jeff, if we're using market movers, what, what do you notice in the price trends um, when a player gets hot for his raw cards versus his graded cards? Well, I mean, first of all, you start to just see a lot of activity and you see activity across the board. I mean, raw cards, graded cards, you see all kinds of activity. Now, I will say that generally your cards that are graded, your gem mint cards, particularly a PSA 10, um, but also, you know, with, with the, you know, in PSA's world, a 10 is equivalent to a BGS 9.5 in Beckett's world, although the 9.5s are, are not really as valuable as the 10s. Beckett also has a level called BGS 10, which is a pristine, which is actually a little more valuable than a PSA 10, but it's very hard to get. And the BGS has a level above that called uh, Black Label 10, which is a pristine 10 with a black label, which is the most rare, the most exclusive and demands the most price. What you often see when a player starts to get really popular, a lot of people start chasing after him, is that the gem mint cards, the PSA 10s, and then to a lesser degree, the BGS 9.5s, uh, but, but also the BGS 10s, especially in the BGS 10 black labels, the, uh, those cards start to really accelerate in price more quickly than the PS, PSA 9s or the BGS 9s or the raw cards do. So you, you do get, I, I, I'm a big believer in graded cards because ultimately you get a little bit of extra appreciation over time. Because as people really lust after, uh, you know, a card that they want to get, you know, investors, collectors, they ideally want the absolute perfect, flawless, gem mint version of that card. And they're willing to pay a little extra premium for it. Yeah, yeah. So as far as when to focus on investing in a particular sport, is there a best time of year for each of the majors to, to focus on those sports? You know, there used to be, there used to be an adage um, that you are supposed to invest in the off season and that in the off season, um, you know, attention is down and, and uh, it's, you get good deals because people aren't really buying and selling the cards. That was absolutely true a few years ago. That has not been true the last year. Um, and it's, I think there's so much, so many new people coming into the hobby, so much interest in, in buying and selling sports cards. I mean, if we look at, you know, I'll, I'll call up a graph here of, let's look at a, um, let me redo a search here and like, let's look at like a Kyler Murray. Um, I mean, what's happened with him this off season has been just the absolute opposite where he, you know, he has been as hot. I'm just going to look at his base uh, card in the PSA 10, his base prism. So, you know, prism being kind of one of the more popular football cards and this is your off season. So what we're here, we're looking at the last 90 days and his, uh, we're going back to January the 25th. So right before the Super Bowl, you could have bought this card for right around a hundred bucks. And now this card is all the way up here at about 267, $315, $310. So it's gone up three times during the off season. Now, granted, people got excited about Kyler Murray because of the trade for, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. And now he's got a big receiver and all that type of thing. Although, of course, he had Larry Fitzgerald before. Um, but, um, you know, so that has helped fuel this. But, we, I, I, you know, you see a similar pattern. Sam Darnold's off this offseason, or he's up, rather, this offseason, I meant to say. Uh, Drew Locke is up this offseason. Jared Stidham, of course, is up this offseason. You know, Teddy Bridgewater is up this offseason. A lot of guys are up um, during the offseason. So, honestly, at this point, I feel like buy cards soon <laughs> because the more that, you know, the, the more interest that comes into the hobby, um, the more prices tend to go up and up. And we've just seen that pretty consistently over the last couple of years that there's kind of this constant pattern 
of price escalation, whether it's be during the season or during the off season. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff H, we were talking a little bit before the show started about how each of these brands, Panini and Tops and whatnot, they have a ton of different subsets. So they're releasing sets all throughout the year of all, all different sports. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe releasing those, those sets throughout the year might affect interest in, in players, even though it's their off seasons? Um, let's see. Well, so I think Panini in particular does a really good job of strategically having a schedule throughout the year. So they, they, you know, they, they build you up, you know, right now we're building up to national treasures, which is the biggest release during basketball season for a lot of collectors. Um, there's kind of the argument, some people like the prism release or the optic release and national treasures is definitely where it's at for the high end collectors. Uh, but then, almost into the next season, you're releasing Flawless. So it it's smart. It keeps the collectors interested all year long. Um, in terms of how it affects players' pricing, I, I don't know. I, I honestly, I, I don't have a good answer for that because I think it, it just depends on the product and, and the player and, and how, how things are going because there's so many different factors in there. But... Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I don't. I don't have a yeah. great answer for you there, Simon. Yeah, no, no, no worries. Um, well, we know that the draft is coming up this week. It's it's currently draft week. What do you guys think of the investability of the uh, collegiate cards of of guys coming about to come into the NFL? So typically, the collegiate cards are not nearly as valuable as the cards of guys in their, you know, actual NFL jerseys. Now, of course, and this is true for every sport, right? Um, but the collegiate cards are the ones that come out first because they don't yet have photos of the guys in their NFL jerseys, so they aren't able to put sets out. So, um, so Panini recently released Prism Draft Picks 2020. Uh, NFL. So football cards of the 2020 draft class that's about to get drafted, right? And so it's it's going to be your first card of Joe Burrow and Tua and all of these other guys. And, and some of them have on-card autos, so cards that Joe Burrow have signed or cards that Tua have signed. And so those are hot right now because they're all that's out there. And they're going to be all that's out there for the next few months. Um, so you've got a runway of probably about three months where those are the only football cards to be had. But as you get close to the season, then you start getting releases of football cards where the guys are actually in their NFL jersey. As soon as that happens, the college jersey cards immediately become devalued because now everybody wants the guys in their NFL jersey. Um, and, you know, the NFL fan bases in general are larger fan bases than most of the college fan bases. NFL is more of a national sport, not as much of a regional sport. So, over the long term, the professional jerseys uh, are worth a lot more and the college jerseys are worth a lot less. But it can certainly be fun to chase those college cards uh, for a few months here while we've got the window to do so while NFL cards don't exist. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we've, we've, we've covered a lot in talking today. Um, Brennan, do you have any, anything that you wanted to add that you think we might, we might have glanced over? 
Yeah, I, yeah. Just one of the things that I've been thinking about quite recently is kind of what to do with some of the secondary sets that um, might not get talked about a lot. You've got your prisms, your optics, your selects, um, revolution. I'm seeing a lot of chatter about at least somewhat recently. So you've got some coming out of the woodworks, um, but one I've always been fascinated with is something like a court kings, which has been around for a while. It's somewhat of a unique set in that it's very artistic. Um, and so uh, I was actually looking to get, um, you know, Jeff's opinion and, and the rest of the group's opinion on how do we go about valuing those? Are those from an investment standpoint, maybe carry more risk because they're not as liquid or is there opportunities there um, to kind of find market inefficiencies, if you will? And I personally um, am kind of on the fence about it. So I was curious what the group thought about some of those secondary sets that um, might not be on the market and talked about quite as much. Well, I, I think so. First of all, I think you bring up a great point. And I think that there are some opportunities there. So I, I, I'm going to give you two two perspectives on this that are a little different. One is generally when I'm investing, I like to go only for popular sets because there's more transaction volume, more liquidity. You're more sure what price you can buy and sell it at because there's more of an established pattern. So if I if I buy a card from a popular set like a Prism or an Optic or or on the higher end maybe an Immaculate or National Treasures, um, you know I know approximately what that card is supposed to be worth because I can see a very extensive price history, and I also have the confidence that if I sell that card down the road, I sh there should be somewhat of a market value established established for the card. If I buy a card from a less popular set, like maybe a Court Kings, there's a little bit more uncertainty there. And so from an investment standpoint, that makes me a little bit nervous. However, on the other hand, what we have seen is that sometimes the less popular sets all of a sudden catch fire. And really, if you rewind the clock about two or three years ago, Optic was a nothing set. Like it was, it was a very, it was a very, it wasn't even a little brother to Prism no one really cared about optic. Everybody wanted prism. All of a sudden people, optic and prism are like considered like one A and one B. And there are some people out there who favor optic over prism. And so we saw the run on optic. We saw a run on select not too long ago where select was this set that not very many people paid attention to. And then, you know, within the last six months, select has gotten really, really hot. So as you mentioned, Revolution, are we going to see that next with Revolution? Could we see that at some point in time with Court Kings? Maybe. So, um, you know, the, the flip side is finding that set that you think these are really, really nice cards and they're undervalued. And I'm going to start buying some of these cards up because at some point in time, you think that the market is going to realize, oh, these are nice cards and they're undervalued. And then you're going to get an extra premium. And that could very well happen. We've seen it happen before. Yeah, that's that's great insight. And um, one thing I've also kind of been trying to look at is how long has that set been created and published? Something like an Origins, this was the first season that carries a ton of risk, I imagine, um, in basketball. But something like Select, something like Court Kings has been around for several years. And I have to imagine that a company like Panini wouldn't spend that kind of money and time on something they were confident in. So I think that's great insight um, from a liquidity standpoint. I completely agree. Prism, Optic. Uh, and then at the higher end, National Treasures is kind of where your safest uh, investment opportunities are. But I, I do think that's a, that's a really good insight there. Yeah, and uh, Jeff H., uh, what what would be some pointers that you would give a, a new investor looking to start building a collection in sports cards? 
Oh, do lots of research. There are a lot of cards out there. And, you know, I'm sure all four of us have all, you know, made some purchases that we wish we had uh, not made or, uh, you know, just looked into a little bit further before we pulled the trigger. But I think um, figuring out what it is you're really interested in and it makes it easier, it makes it a lot more fun at least to do the research on uh, whether that's a player or a sport or a team and uh, and expanding beyond that. But I, I me personally, when I buy, I, I am a, a a volume person. So I, I am not, I, when I say volume, I'm sorry. I, I, it's actually the opposite of that. I like the limited edition cards. I am not someone who wants to go and buy 100 um, Luka Doncic silver prisms. I would rather buy one Luka Doncic gold out of ten, and you know I realize there is more there's more room for growth in the hundred silvers. But um, I, I feel like, especially in times like this, where maybe you don't have the biggest as big a buying audience as you normally would when the economy is doing well, those limited edition cards, those out of 10 or, you know, one of ones still have a good buying audience. There are still the people that can weather the storm during times like this that are looking for cards like that. And, uh, I, that, that's me personally, I shouldn't be advising anyone on their investments, but that's the way I like to go. Um, but no, I think the important part is enjoy it. Like that's, that's the beauty of this hobby is the fact that you can invest in something you can hold in your hand and you can really enjoy it. You can invest in players that you like to watch. That's beautiful. Like, you know, it, you can't say that about the stock market. You can say you enjoy watching companies thrive, but it's not the same. Yeah. Uh, Jeff W., what would you uh, give for advice to these new investors? I mean, I think good advice, you know, as everyone's just talked about, you know, do your homework, all that type of thing. You know, it, read and learn as much as you can. It can be it can be confusing. But one thing I definitely suggest with is like pick a niche. And by a niche, I mean pick a sport and then pick a set of cards within the sport. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, basketball uh, and, and football brands on this on this. But obviously, you've got baseball is a big part of this as well. And over there, you've got different brands like Tops and Tops Chrome. Uh, and Bowman and Bowman Chrome being your most popular brands over there. Um, and I would recommend, first of all, starting with whatever sport you know the best. And then within that sport, um, focusing in on one of the more popular brands and saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to get to know if, if basketball is your sport, I'm going to get to know 2019 Prism basketball cards. I'm going to understand the different variations of them. And I'm going to go after the guys who I want to go after uh, rookie cards are, all, are are absolutely where you want to be. So don't, you know, don't get caught up, even though, for example, you, um, you know, you may really like Giannis. Well, you know, 2019 Prism may not be a bad Giannis card, but it's not his rookie card or his second year card. So it's not going to have the same value unless he goes on to win the championship this year, in which case it might. Um, but, um, uh, you know, for the most part, look for guys, pick a year where there's rookies that interest you. So whether that's this year in basketball with Zion and Jaw or last year in basketball, um, you know, with Luca and Trey and, you know, guys of that ilk or the year before, if you want to go to Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell and Lonzo Ball, pick whatever year you want to focus on, pick the, and then pick the primary set you want to focus on and start there and, and check price histories. You got to understand price histories. 
um, read a lot, learn a lot, and, uh, and, and get good. Do some transactions, do some buying, do some selling. You can start at a lower level and then you can work your way up and get good at the process. And, and then there's a lot of opportunity to be had um, once you, you know, once you kind of learn the ins and outs of it. Great. Awesome. And uh, Brennan, uh, same, same question to you. What, what advice would you give a new investor? Sure. Yeah. Just to, to piggyback off of the valuing cards and looking at price history, uh, I think it's very important to spend quite a bit of time trying to figure out your process on how to value a card you're looking at. Um, the worst thing you want to do is just go out and buy something without doing that research we've talked about. And so um, a, a tool like Market Movers is great uh, to look at the history, the price history of many cards. Um, if you're on eBay, you can look at the completed sales on eBay. Uh, it's very important to be careful with best offer and, and uh, buy it now because you never really know what the offer was. And so um, if there's a lot of sales history for a certain card on eBay, you can just go on there, look at the auction completed over the last uh, 30 days or so and, and get a good idea. Um, now for some of the more niche cards, how to value those. Um, Jeff has a great video on YouTube talking about how he valued a very uh, unique and, and uh, you know, rare Giannis card. Um, it's, it's almost like you're, you're comping houses and trying to figure out what those prices are. So uh, my best advice is, is to once you find a card you want to buy, spend a couple days figuring out the best value for that card. Um, very rarely have I found where I, I wanted a card and it was gone in the next hour or so. I've always had time to think about kind of what, you know, what the right value for that card is. And I, I think it's also important to factor in all the other things that come along with it. If your eBay fees, uh, shipping and handling, if you're going to be, you know, buying and selling, um, these are all things to think about when valuing a card. It's not just simply the the price you see on the screen initially. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we're going to have a couple more of these style videos coming out in the next few days. Uh, be sure to check out Brendan, Ru uh, Brendan Ruby at playingnumbers.com, uh, Jeff Hoffer at patgeek.com. And again, a reminder that if you go to sportscardinvestor.com and use the promo code GRINDERS, we'll give you a 20% discount off your first month uh, subscription there. So thanks for joining us and uh, stay tuned for more videos. Mm -hmm.